Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. There it is, live from Dairyland, USA, home of the greatest cheese curds known to man, perch, fried fish, baskets, and bartenders that will bite your head off and make you laugh in the exact same sentence. We are coming to you live from rural Wisconsin. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. My name is Brian Brinkman. I'm here with RJB and Jonathan Hart. We've got an incredible guest who is joining us here shortly. We are talking Fish's Alpine Valley, night one of three recaps here today. We're going to be recapping the first show from the Alpine Valley run. RJ, Jonathan, how are you guys doing? 
Uh, well, I will say I'm not in Dairyland, but uh, otherwise I'm okay. <laughs> I want to hear more about these bartenders sometime. I am in Dairyland. Um, we have uh, we've eaten a lot of cheese curds. You know, that's like basically the whole. That's my summary. And they're really good. <laughs> they're really good. They're more diverse than you would think they were, especially the fried ones. We ended up at a uh, roadside bar yesterday afternoon where we all lost money playing dice. And uh, we had an incredible bartender, had an excellent hang. My dad played the same Warren Zevon songs three times in the jukebox. And uh, then we ended up on lot and we had a really good day. It was, it was an awesome, awesome way to kick off a three-night run of fish. How about that? You guys should see uh, you should see Brian's dad and Brian's brother and Brian all competing for the for the jukebox or or the play or the phone to play music. It's a, it's it's something to behold for sure. <laughs> yeah, I bet they have some interesting and um, maybe very similar touch tunes lists. There's a little bit of divergence, but it all kind of comes it's back to uh, yeah. There's 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 a vibe around. I think Tunnel of Love is the center. Bruce Springsteen's Tunnel of Love is the is that is the central holding place of everything that we do. Um, That's true. But we are here today. We are going to be joined here very shortly by our good friend Mr. Scott Marks on Twitter at Biz Archive. One of my favorite people to talk fish with. Um, and I don't think we have anything controversial to talk about today. I don't think fish potentially played anything or potentially well, actually, didn't play anything. We have a Bowie that might be controversial for many people uh, from a, for a variety of reasons. Um, RJ made it potentially a little bit controversial yesterday with an immediate post-show tweet. We're going to get into all of that. I'm really excited for the Really excited for the conversation here. Before we do that, though, we need to shout out our good friends at Passion House Coffee. Here at Osiris Media, we are powered by a few things. Music, of course, but also coffee. Coffee, 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 which I needed here this morning just immediately. We're always drinking Passion House coffee, and now we have our very own blend, the Ocean of Osiris. Please visit passionhousecoffee.com to get some of this and other coffee today. You can use the code OSIRIS, O-S-I-R-I-S, for free shipping on every order. And while you're doing that, please know that we are running a contest with Passion House. Whenever Fish plays an ocean song, go ahead and tag Osiris Pod at Osiris Pod, as well as at Passion House Coffee on Twitter, and use hashtag Ocean of Osiris, and we will pick two winners at random each show. Today, we have only one winner, but he's a good winner. We're really, really excited about this winner on Twitter at BuckyBuck. 2001 uncle buck uh, i know Twitter. i know buck i know buck he's a great dude i, I right. hung out with him at Merriweather. Wow. really good guy congrats buck he's, a, he's got an excellent twitter presence he seems like a really solid dude and the kind of guy that needs to have some passion house coffee in his life you know well good for him congratulations congrats to buck we got Six more fish shows this tour, which means six more chances for you out there. Not you, RJ, not you, Jonathan, not even me. I'm not pointing at any of us. I'm pointing at you out there in the world 
six more chances for you to win Passion House Coffee, as well as if they play Sea and Sand, you will have a chance to have coffee virtually with Mr. RJB and Mr. Tom Marshall. So definitely check them out. We also want to tell you about, we've had a couple of live events that have happened this summer, and we have one final one that is closing out summer tour. Osiris Live is coming to the Larimer Lounge on Wednesday, August 31st for an evening of music and conversation with the band Taper's Choice. You can get your tickets at the link on the screen, osirispod.com slash Denver. Tickets are starting to go fast for this. It's a, it's a, it seems to be a very popular event. We've got a lot of people interested. Come and check us out. Uh, Jonathan and I will be interviewing Taper's Choice, and then they will be playing a set of music. It's going to be pretty awesome. I'm extremely excited to see them. have been listening to them a ton over the last few months. That will kick off the Dick's Run, which we have some information to tell you about here in the coming days. Finally, two quick things here for you. We have new HF Pod shirts, the Helping Friendly shirt. They are very, very sick. You can get them at osirispod.highlinemerch.com. Great way to support HF Pod. We've got our new logo, our new font. They're in this cool charcoal gray, really, really fun, very comfortable shirt. Definitely encourage people to check those out. They um, they don't look as... They don't look like this. No, that is the old school. That is cool. the old school, the OG old school shirt today. that Jonathan is wearing. But uh, these new ones, they're new school. They're, they're refined. They're sweet. They're very sweet. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to show mine off at uh, at Dick's this year. And then finally, we want to tell you about our friends at Wook Plus who have uh, great content. They do the lot pre-shows on Wednesdays throughout tour, and then they do the after fish after show, which goes live 15 minutes post-show. You can watch both at Wook Plus uh, on Twitter plus uh, on YouTube. You can search for Wook Plus. With that, I think that we should probably get into our show. Does that sound good to you guys? Let's go yeah. ahead here. We're going to bring our guest, Mr. Scott Marks, on. Scott, how are you doing here today? I'm doing great. I could probably use some of that coffee right now, but I am doing great. <laughs> where Where are we uh, reaching you at in uh, wonderful Dairyland? I am uh, at Lake in Lake Geneva, uh, about 20 miles west of um, uh, East Troy. Awesome. You having a good Sweet. good stay in the Midwest? I am. I haven't been out here in 10 years, so it's really nice being back. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's dive into it. Um, Our first segment of the show, in terms of covering the overall show from Alpine, is the vibe of it. What was the vibe like? This is brought to us by Section 119, which is the premier apparel brand where many fish fans shop to represent their favorite band in everyday life. There's sophisticated designs and epic quality. Section 119 offers donut-inspired button-down shirts, board shorts, dry-fit polos, and hoodies, among many more awesome clothing types. You can use code SUMMER22 for a 20% discount on your next purchase. You will absolutely love your new gear. Once again, it's 20% off with code SUMMER22. Scott, RJ, myself, we were all at this show. I think it'll be interesting to get a sense of what the vibe was like from the three of us here. Scott, what was your take in terms of uh, the vibe of the overall show from arrival to walking in ahead of uh, showtime? 
I think there's a special magic of being at Alpine. Um, it's kind of like a, a destination event in the Midwest, if you will, uh, where everyone is, is trying it out there. It's what 30, 35,000 people. So pretty much if you have a way to go and you want to go, you can. And whether you're in the pit of the pavilion or the, the lawn that goes on forever, um, you're, you're there. And so, you know, it's, it's not the the de facto tour closer, but because there's Dix in a couple of weeks. But for me, this is really the tour closer. And then uh, Dix is kind of the coda or the epilogue to what's going on here. So this is the core where they've been playing for uh, 22 shows. And we're finally, or there's going to be 22 shows by the end of the weekend. And we're, we're finally at the finish line uh, where everything has kind of come together for what's gone on this summer with the evolution of the jams and the songs. And, um, in terms of the vibe, people were just really happy to be there. It's kind of like a, a party atmosphere. Everyone's in a, in a good frame of mind, um, a little well-rested after AC, um, unless people went up to Toronto on Wednesday, and then they're probably not quite as rested as the rest of us, but um, we're ready to do it again. Yeah, definitely had a sense like pulling in like a return. I hadn't been to Alpine since 2015, and for me on, you know, Growing up, going to this venue, it it felt like a return to a place where I had seen a lot of shows as a younger person. Uh, There's just like a certain magic to the way the sun hits the hills there. It's super green. It's beautiful. Um, Obviously, no vending at Alpine. So just kind of more of like a party vibe uh, walking through the lot. RJ, what were your thoughts of it? Yeah, it was my first time back since 97. Um, yeah, nothing changed since the last time from what I remember, you know, like a big grassy field where you park your car and um, the vending was was being closely monitored. But I, I managed to buy a margarita from someone who made it just an excellent margarita. And I tried to find Brian and his dad and his brother and his cousin, literally all Brian's family. Um, and I turned down this lane and I walked all the way down and they had gone somewhere else. And then at the I got to the very end and like six people stopped me and were like, hey, you're RJ. Thanks so much for all the stuff with HF Pod. And they were all Midwestern people. And it was it was so nice to see like fans, you know, I, I'm used to hearing fans say that on like the East Coast, but it's nice to connect with Wisconsin and Illinois and Ohio people who appreciate what we do. So it would that that was really awesome. Um, I really appreciated that. I love how walking into Alpine, there's just a sense that like, as you said, the venue feels like it's just trapped in time. There's there there are certain amenities that have been improved. Obviously, like it's it's a cashless uh, place. It's it's kept up in that sort of sense. Um, but like the shed looks like it's like had minor modifications over the years. Uh, the porta potties on the around the pavilion are just like completely sloped down. The vending is just like as simple and straightforward as it once was. Uh, once you're inside, it's just like. It's just like an archetype. Uh, it's, it's just like trapped in like the 80s and 1990s. It's a, it's a really incredible shed to go to. It feels like you, you've stepped back into a different period in rock history. So the band walks on stage uh, right around, I think I, I tracked it at 738. Uh, it was um, just It was after- way early, right? I thought it was going to be like an 8 o'clock show. Did you guys expect it? When they came out, I think everyone was surprised, but, but happily surprised. 
Yeah, I, I definitely thought it was going to be an eight o'clock show and I was going to get food. And um, I was in the pit and one of my friends is like, um, it's it's a 7.30 or ticket time was seven o'clock. And so I'm like, oh, all right, I guess I'll wait till set break. And um, then it was a, a bit of a shit show. But um, yeah, so not, I think they're a little understaffed with some of the, uh, some of the, the vendors there um, or the, just like the, the if I went to page side of the uh, of the lawn, um, they had like three people running the entire food thing, and just um, you know, it, it, it's kind of like the sign of the times where they people are looking for for workers. Um, but they, yeah. they did a great job with uh, everybody coming in, and um, yeah, so definitely a earlier earlier start time, and I had to had to adjust, and now at least I can prepare a little better for tonight tomorrow. Yeah, it'll be nice. Uh... Uh, knowing that like there's a lack of vending knowing that like the start time is a little earlier i'm going to be able to time it a little bit better in terms of my arrival and just like getting in and everything which is kind of the nice thing about a three-night run is you use the first night to kind of figure out your logistics and then you settle in properly going into it um jonathan from at home what was the vibe like for you Uh, did you have a good uh good evening couch touring uh actually i went across the street and had some drinks with uh friends and then came home in the middle of twist so uh pretty good vibe <laughs> it's a good good way to kick it off on the first set openers this morning well let's dive into the first set um from a highlight standpoint so we have fuego clear your mind into twist into Haley's comet into destiny unbound the moma dance and drift while you're sleeping scott what was your overall highlight from set one of uh, last night's show. So the, the clear highlight for me is Moma dance. Um, or for people that call my typo on Twitter and had fun with the, the Mona dance. Um, it's, it's funny how like I'm, I'm thumbing these things out really quickly. And if I get like one letter wrong, I'll get like uh, Mona from who's the boss and, and Mona Lisa. And just like every, everything on <laughs> people have the, the, the best time of it. So I'm kind of looking back at like the, the tweets, like hours later, I'm like, Oh, Okay. <laughs> it's like, you can't delete the tweet at that point because it's been around for so long. <laughs> um, but no, with, with um, I, I digress. So Moma Dance, like you, you look at um, the amount of times that it's gone type two or, or have been jammed out. Like the first big one was Worcester in 03, which kind of stayed in that type one territory. Um, but then you had the, in my opinion, the GOAT from, uh, SPAC 2016, which is kind of the one that I, I hold the the measuring stick to for everything else. And I, I want to say, I, going off memory here, so I may be completely wrong, but the Baker's Dozen, I think, had one yeah. that got jammed out a bit. And I want to say maybe one from last fall, um, but I'm not entirely sure on that. I feel like there's at least one more that I'm not aware of. But, I mean, you're looking at basically... AC last summer had a, had a really okay. good one in the okay, first that, set. That yeah. It. So we're looking at maybe four or five or six out of, you know, what, 60, 70, 80 of these that have been played. So it's super rare. And, you know, I, I was like with Haley's or with ACDC bag or, or tube or roses. It's always like Charlie Brown and, and the football blues. And like, are they going to, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. And then like Trey starts to jam out a little bit. I'm, I'm all set to fire something off, but I, I, I 
now after AC where they did the 555 that went like a minute of jamming, I got all excited for it and then I got burned on. I just kind of <laughs> wait a little bit longer now to open my mouth and I'm like, all right, they're they're really doing this. And so um it had a, a bunch of levels to it and went 18 minutes. Um and I, I realized that like 18 minutes is just a it's a timestamp. It's it's nothing. Uh you could have a jam that goes nowhere over 18 minutes, but this had a, a bunch of levels to it and then it uh it, it came back home at the end. Um, and it just, it was, it was, it was fantastic. I haven't had a chance to listen to it again, but it's one that I really enjoyed last night. Um, and the other, the other highlights I think were, uh, you, know, you got your first Fuego opener since 2014, uh, in Vegas and the clear your mind, the twist, uh, I enjoyed. And you, you kind of had a sense that there was a chance they were going to be messing around with stuff last night because they're quoting clear your mind in the intro for twist. And then, uh, fish mad the, the lyrics later on. Um, so there, then it was kind of a foreshadowing of set two a little bit. Yeah, I felt. I just want to ask a question about about the the jams. I felt like in the we've talked about this a, a few times, where like the the kind of bliss peaks where Trey was like pushing those pretty early last night in Fuego and and in Twist. Um, Scott, do you think that that's it's a, it's a comfortable place for them, obviously, you know, and it's, it's like, it doesn't seem. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's great for the crowd and it's like easy for them to kind of just build a peak. And then they kind of were doing it over and over, but I think we've discussed in the past that that is like, it's a little bit of a, of like a, not necessarily a crutch, but like something that they can go to easily, like in contrast to some of the more like space, space rock, weird stuff they've been doing this tour. Like, do you see it as, I don't know, better, worse, easier, harder, like, or, or is it just part of the whole part of the whole way that everything flows? Well, that makes I, sense? As, as somebody who's not a professional musician, um, I, I have to digress a little bit here. Um, and I, I, I played trombone for over a decade. So it's not like, I, I don't know anything about music outside of what I'm listening to. Um, for me, um, like if, if I had a preference, I, I absolutely love the the high energy peaks like the the Atlantic Sea Ruby Waves, um, where like I go back to that show and that's one of the things I think of right off the bat. Um, but then like right after that, you had the ghost from that night where they went into a lot of different areas which are they're not accustomed for that song. So I think they they've used it a lot. I think it's it, it's always a crowd pleaser and it, it never fails to put a huge smile on my face when I'm when I'm hearing it or watching it. Um, but I think it's probably easier for them to do that than having something that's more complex. Um, you know, the, the spaced out stuff or whatever. Um, so where you have multiple levels that are going in many directions as opposed to one where there's just like a, a gradual building and then it gets to that, that huge ferocious peak at the end. And maybe there's a, a, another peak, like a little mini musical mountain range, if you will. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's definitely easier for them to, to do that. Yeah, I felt like the MoMA gave you this kind of like two sides of it because there was certainly exploration um, once they got fully out of the MoMA dance and allowed them to kind of play two or three segments of music uh, there where there was just a lot of like back and forth musical communication. And for a while, I felt like we weren't going to go towards any sort of a peak but then they kind of locked into a riff and they built it at that point in time. And it, 
created this very satisfying moment from a crowd standpoint, from a listening standpoint, you could see the audience just like react in a, uh, just fully engaged way. And the band loves that the fans love that, but it was, it was great to have that in a rare song in there, like a rare jamming song in the first set, just raise the excitement overall. Um, I'm right there with you, Scott, in terms of liking the first, um, just like the way that this show opened up, it felt unexpected. Fuego being kind of a rare opener, like it in that slot, got a little bit of exploration uh, in the Fuego. Clear Your Mind, it was the first sci-fi soldier song that I've seen live. It was great to get something like that in the first set. That felt a little bit expansive. Didn't really leave the theme, but the band was just kind of playing around and they felt loose in terms of space. Um, twist kind of came out of nowhere in that sort of standpoint. And then, um, destiny unbound is, you know, just one of those songs. I don't recall the last time I got a destiny unbound, but it's something I've heard maybe two or three times. And there's always that two twenty eight Oh three moment that you get whenever you hear it, where it just feels special, uh, especially in the room. Well, you had, um, Moma dance was the longest song of the night and it's not often yeah. you could, you could go looking at a show and sing at the, the jam of the night, or at least time-wise, is in the first set. Uh, happens occasionally, um, and it's not not taking a shot at anything happened in the second set. It was just you know, just by the numbers, I guess. Um, and seeing a twist pop up three songs in the first set was uh, was a welcome surprise. You, you're kind of used to seeing that midway through the second set, uh, with yeah. in the middle, like a big jam sandwich if you will and just seeing it show up there was was, was fantastic and you're right uh, destiny unbound whether you've seen it one two or, or ten times is always a gift um i mean i still get goosebumps thinking about the the nasa show where you know if you, if you go back and listen to the the live fish recording you can hear the excitement and I'm, I'm kind of getting goosebumps now just talking about it um but you can hear the crowd, once they realize what's going on, um, how excited they're getting. And and some people knew right from the get-go with the first couple of notes. And other people, once the Highway Bill um, lyrics came on, they, they knew what was going on. And I mean, you're, you have a song that had been chased by virtually the entire fish community for over 700 shows from uh, 91 to 2003. And now it's like we get it. You know, once or twice a year, and so it, we're fortunate to have the song back. It was the first time I played it this year, and uh, it's it's always a treat. Um, and now, of course, you have that little live and let die thing that's been added in at the end uh, for one reason or another. But like every time you, you hear, it, you'll you'll hear Mike playing that right. that riff. Uh, <laughs> I won't say it for the sake of our listeners, but it, it, it's there. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan from the couch, what were your thoughts on this first set? What were your highlights? Well, as I said, I mentioned I missed the first part of it, so but I want to talk about that. I was listening to it this morning and I I like the Fuego as an opener. It's kind of, you know, big rock kind of statement. I think it was interesting to put two uh songs back to back that were collaboratively written. You can really tell the character of these songs that the whole band contributes. flavor in those lyrics. I don't get in a uh, <clears throat> excuse me in a Trey Tom composition I like the way it flowed into twist it was really groovy but I'm with you guys the moment dance is my highlight that I went back to that 
just before I came upstairs to sit down. It's a great, great solid version. Um, good jam in it. It doesn't really lose the groove, like it away from the MoMA dance groove per se. Always very danceable, strong peak, and so great. An ultimate number for the set. Yeah, yeah, and it it worked well to like when it when it finished before it went into drift. I I kind of it had that impact of kind of making the first set feel slightly disorienting because at the time that MoMA started, you kind of just figured we were getting like a string of high energy songs and we would probably get, you know, nine to 12 songs throughout the set, close out with something. And then we'd, you know, go into the set break, but because it was nearly 20 minutes and then you put drift on the back end of that, the final two songs of the first set end up being 30 plus minutes and takes up a good amount of real estate. And when they, started drift i was like is this going to be midway through the first set is this going to close out the set i don't exactly know where i'm at you know time kind of loses its sort of meaning at that point and um i I always like that effect of being in a show where the structure and the rigidity of an actual rock concert where like there's a time to walk on stage there's a time for the set break there's a time for uh curfew you kind of lose that as a result of a jam being stretched out unexpectedly I think it's a good sign when you're in the show and you lose track of going to be the end or don't know. I think they're doing something right. Yes. I, I knew right off the bat that drift was going to close the set just because it's, it's become that, that set. That spot. It's like Santos is usually in the encore now, or it's going to close a set. Um, and so I, I would have actually have been surprised if drift didn't close the set. It's um, a good point. I, you know, I'm neck deep and and sellless every night with this band. So like I, I'm putting this, I'm either looking at the set list on .net or reviewing it, or um, I'm at the show. And so I tied with the analytical mind. I I know, you know, what's, what's going on. And I I also have the times in in the journal. So I'm looking at it and it's all right. It's been 62 minutes. This is probably going to close the set, but um, I mean, I'd love to be proved wrong. Um, yeah. I think sometimes no, I mean, they just get into that, that zone where, you know, or slaves going to close a set or, or, but the real big ones are, are drift. Um, I'd have to go back and look, but I've, I feel like that's been almost an, entirely a set closer for most of its history. I knew it was going to close sitting here at home, but, uh, you know, Brian not writing timestamps down in the set list, probably I could see losing track. It's a good, good way to end a set. It's got a great big finish. Lots of yellow lights beaming off of people with their arms up, just screaming. We moved through stormy weather with the band. Uh, it's become a very heroic and triumphant way to close out a set for the band at this point in time. I wonder if if they realize, um, or if Corotta still realizes that Fishman hates the yellow lights. Um, <laughs> I remember, like in '98. Um, they specifically had yellow light on him for his son because he said he hated it. And so I wonder sometimes if, if they're still pulling him. That's uh, uh, awesome. <laughs> well, we're going to get into some Fishman humor here in set two, but um, 
before we do that, um, we do need to jump into the set break segment of the show to talk through what uh, set break was like for all of us. And this is brought to us by our friends here at Sunset Lake CBD. Jonathan, do you want to tell us a bit about Sunset Lake CBD? Do I? I do. Can you hear me okay? I got a note to turn my mic up, so I just turned it up a little bit. So um, let's see if you can hear this. I will tell you that Sunset Lake CBD's line of smokable hemp products are for our old deadheads and young fish fans searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without paranoid and anxious side effects. With nine different strains from this year's harvest, there is something for everyone. The Hawaiian Haze is awesome for an outdoor show, and Cherry Abacus is best for the end of the night. All the flour is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. And even better, Sunset Lake CBD's farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flour shipping directly from their farm to your door right now. Out there in the postal universe is a package coming from their farm to my door, and I can't wait for my restock. You can get yours, too, by checking them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use our coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. And you know, before we talk about set break and kicking back with our Sunset Lake CBD, I think RJ might want to talk about first set, too. I just want to add a couple of things. One is that the, the, well, first of all, this is a whole different topic, which we can discuss at a later time or never, but the, the sci-fi soldier songs, I'm just, I'm still like, I was at Halloween. I, I, I'm still like coming around to them. I don't love them. And I, and when they play them, I'm like, okay, I understand why they play them. And I understand why they have this place and sort of the history of this band, but I'm, they're still not hitting me. I just want to tell you guys that because I want to be transparent and honest with with all of you today. Um, think, Brian, you kicked ahead, out Scott. of the podcast now. Yeah. What do you think, yeah. Scott? I think it's it's it. Sometimes it takes time to get used to the songs. Um, like I I listened to the I was at the the Sci-Fi Soldier set um, for everything that's gone down, um, and it was a lot to take in at the time and now you're getting it in bits and pieces. Like the songs are being sound checked. And so they're kind of feeling them out. Um, and when you, you start to see them showing up in, in sets, they, they kind of either get used to them or you, or maybe you still hate them or, or whatever, but um, like the howling falls into, it can easily fit into a set. It has like that 2001 feel. And uh, I'm just, waiting for the day um where those two songs get mashed up together um <laughs> there was a show in uh syracuse in 2016 where they had the timber 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 um yeah and so like it's just like a, a complete fan nerd dream that like they would mix those two songs up or whatever but they're they're so similar um there's a and, lot of that um i was thinking about clear your mind this morning and it has, has a uh little character of, you know, lyrically Wombat, but musically a little Sneak and Sally kind of vibe, and they could kind of ping pong between those. There's my message. And you you have any of these songs that could become a a jam vehicle. Um, It hasn't hit Sci-Fi Soldier yet, but it certainly hit the the Lonely Trip songs. um, Yeah. With Sigma Oasis, I never did you like this before. And so 
I'm reserving judgment on how these are going to formulate them to the set list because, like, there you had the Halloween show, and then there was nothing at the ninth cube. Um, and I think maybe maybe two songs in Mexico, uh, clear your mind, and maybe the howling showed up, so not a lot. Um, and so they're they're slowly showing up in the set list here and there. Um, I feel like Cosbot Vox had had a much bigger impact. Like when the New Year's run happened a few months later, you had like four or five songs out of like the 12 that were there. Um, and they were, I think they're more like rock songs. Like Say It To Me Santos has become like an arena rock standard for the band. Um, where it, you know, we'll, we'll see how these songs can work, but the howling can easily be a, a, a 2001 alternative where it's showing up every couple of shows. And it's, you know, it's not very complex lyrics, obviously, but the band loves it. The crowd loves it. And you had the full moon last night. So it was kind of like a, a slam dunk for that to appear. Yeah. It seemed like we were getting the howling. I think we talked about it in the parking lot, Brian. Um, the, the other thing I was just going to say about the first set is the Haley's you can, you can feel the crowd, like just wanting Haley's to jam. And like when Trake, it, you know, just goes on for that extra 16 measures or whatever, you know, and then like people like slowly get more and more hyped. And then it's like, is it going there? Is it going there? And then it dropped into destiny, which I thought was, was a great, great segue. Um, well, also you're, remember you're watching. Go ahead, Scott. Sorry. You're, you're, you're watching like the, listening to the chords go up a little bit a little bit and then it's like you're if you're up closer if you're watching the screens you're just looking for trey to look over to the band or hand motions like i'm just waiting for that shoe to drop so i wasn't i didn't want to get too excited yet but i was like all right this is well we're, we're close you- we're close but like get me get me beyond the chords going up and then then talk to me um, was but it, everyone yeah. was so excited. It was like, yeah, it's higher and higher and higher and higher than destiny. Was it in any way different last night? As I, I was, I was wondering this watching, and I listened back this morning, and I don't think it was. It sounded like a pretty standard Haley's, but in the moment, maybe it just felt really exciting that he kept pointing up and looking at Mike and going up an octave and you know, the crowd would just like react like crazy every time he did that. And then he got as high up on the register of his guitar. There was no place further to go. The only place to go is to go to another song or to jam. Uh, It just felt like the crowd was eating up that moment. The band was eating it up. It felt primed for like, okay, let's go off and do a Haley's jam and everyone's going to lose it. Destiny felt like the best song that you could pick in that moment because of how rare it is, because it's the type of song that like brings back so many, you know, great memories from a fish standpoint. But I don't know if you noticed that Scott, if it, in any sort of way that was unique to that segment, or if it was kind of just the same level of excitement that you get. I mean, I, I don't have other versions to sit back and compare it to, but it just seems like anytime you're going to have those chords or octaves, you know, that, that general ascending music, you're going to get a lot of crowd enjoyment. Um, but again, the yeah. football was waiting to be kicked and Trey was uh, right to steal away from us. <laughs> <laughs> um, wanted, I didn't want to get too tricked on it, but um, it was definitely on my mind. Like we were rapidly approaching that, you know, the, the six minute mark, you know, is this going to happen or not? And then, you know, unfortunately it didn't happen last night, but the, the end was still such high energy and 
um, the, the crowd definitely ate up. I was very excited with it. I relate yeah, greatly to your uh, protecting your emotions in those moments. You don't want to get too excited. <laughs> it, it's something that's come up a lot on this show, uh, this tour, and we'll talk more about it in set two. But with respect to this, Haley's uh, not jam. You know, if you're going to not jam, dropping into uh, Destiny Unbound is a pretty good trade off, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, Brian, before we get into set two, can I just say one thing about a comment we had earlier yeah. um, um, from YouTube that said the vibe for women was different yesterday. There are a lot of women complaining about how a lot of men were behaving. This happens too often, especially on summer tours, should be addressed. And um, just wanted to highlight that and say that um, GrooveSafe, which is an amazing organization nationally, is, and all the people who are involved are doing a great job trying to spread awareness of this and, and stop these kinds of things from happening. So check out groovesafe.org um donate support them so that they can go to more shows and spread the word and, and get more people um, educated about how to how to behave properly at shows not that we should need it but it seems like it seems like some people do so i just wanted to mention that i mean it's not just summer tour either i mean it's it's um all the shows it's happening and i mean i i think that there's a lot more awareness now than there was before ashley got involved and she and the group safe team have done such a fantastic job with it. And it's not just for the fish community either. She's, you know, spearhead this for a lot of other bands. Um, and it's definitely a problem and we need to keep raising awareness of it so that the, the fish experience is, is safe and enjoyable for, for everybody. Um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that this keeps happening to say the least. Absolutely. So, um, Scott, did you have any great adventures during set break as you were transitioning from set one to set two, or did you just hang out, check your Twitter DMS for any sort of backlash to misspelled words or, um, uh, footballs being pulled out from under you? My grand adventure was to get food. <laughs> um, I, I had missed out on that before the show and I I just didn't have it in me to wait a few more hours and the the law in Alpine is notorious for being hard to get out of and so I figured if I didn't eat anything then I wouldn't be eating anything until like one thirty, two o'clock in the morning I just I, I couldn't do it No. Um, so yeah I mean usually I'll just stick around my spot um, I don't like dealing with the crowds I didn't like dealing with it before COVID and you know, even now, um, I just would, I'm not claustrophobic, but I would just rather have my space. Um, and so I'll often just kind of sit there or stand there and decompress uh, everything that's going on during, during the first set. And well, I, I decompressed while standing in the food line last night. Um, <laughs> so we, we do what we need to do. Um, but no, it was, uh, no, no real adventures. Right. Brian, I did have a grand adventure, which was trying to find you, and I mis I misunderstood which row you were in, and I was in a very confused state, as I mostly am at fish shows, because I'm just disoriented, but I walked all the way, there's only three sections, right, and each row, the row is 100 seats, so like once you go into a row, you're basically committing to walking by You're lost. <laughs> and I went down the row that I thought was yours all the way to the end and I stopped and these people next to me, I sat down they're like, just, just take a seat. Take it. I'm like, I don't think I can do it. And they're like, you can do it. You can get to the end. It's not that far. 
Um, and then I walked down like five more seats and Joel Cummins was sitting there with his wife. So I got to say hi to him and ran into him like very randomly, but I'd never found you. So I did like a whole loop and then just went back to my seat. I, I will just say, if I can, can I admit something on this podcast? There's nobody actually listening or watching. I can say something to just the three it's of you guys. Private just group, just private group here, chat. Yeah. Um, we're just cats here. Go for it. <laughs> so MoMA starts and I realized, okay, I don't know how much more we have left of this first set. I'm going to have to use the restroom. I've heard like a hundred MoMAs in my life. I can, I can listen to this from the bathroom line, right? And I remember thinking immediately, like, if this jams, I'll be back in time. So I, uh, and, and I hate leaving my seat at set break. I hate it so because it's the e- eternal gamble that you're, you're, you're describing. The I eternal love this. Gamble. All I love been this. there at least once, if not many times. So please tell us how it plays out. I turn to my body and I said, hey. make it back by set two. <laughs> I made it back in three minutes. It was perfect. I ran up, got into a very quick line, relieved myself, ran back down, considered getting food, but then thought better of it, got back down. They were still playing MoMA dance, and I was able to soak in the entire jam, take in drift, which meant that at set break, I did the one thing that I love doing, which is just sitting down in my seat, having a good conversation, taking in my thoughts, and then standing up when it's time for the band to come back on stage. Because at the end of the day, I just I don't want to do anything during set break. I, I I don't want to go and stand in a food line. There's everybody's just like running up to to go use uh, the bathrooms to get food, and I just want to be able to like sit down and take it all in. So I was very thankful for that. My set break was boring in the way I like it. I think the destiny played oh. into your into your calculation there. I think that was gave you an advantage. That's a good point. People ran back, and they definitely weren't running out during destiny. It's a good point. That's a good point. So why don't we jump into set two here and cover this. So we've got Ass Handed into Set Your Soul Free, into Golden Age, into Lonely Trip, into Ghost, into The Howling, into Simple, into David Bowie before an encore of The Lizards and more. Scott, a lot of, a lot of good highlights throughout this second set. What was your big highlight of the set? That's tough. Uh, I had a few. Um, if I'm looking at the the set list and, and memories, the first thing that stuck out obviously was was ass handed, um, where they extended it like they did in Vegas last year. You know, it's it's still only five minutes, but um, to to see a song that's really notes and lyrics um and to have that jammed out a bit is, is always fun um the, the golden age had a really high energy and i i this is a loaded response um and so for like the five people that are listening they, they might have some comments um but the, the, the bowie stood out um and i i say this where it's it's not it's not looking at your fall 94 or 95 Bowie's where they were 25, 30 minutes long and, and really got out there, but um, super exploration, just like the, the, the Mount Rushmore of David Bowie's, if you will. But um, I feel like there aren't a lot of 
David Bowie's and the 3.0, 4.0 era that go out there. And like I, I was listening and it, they were they were in type two. They're completely off the musical reservation. And I was surprised when the song ended that it was only 12 minutes long. You know, and you're, you're looking at these 30, 40 minute Bowie's um, from almost 30 years ago. And it's just a reminder that you don't need a song to go 20, 25, 30, 35 minutes to be epic. You could have it something where it even as long as this was, it, it still got out there. Um, I mean, really, uh, everything in the set outside of Lonely Trip um, had jams in it. And Lonely Trip was like just a quick breather. And then they, they got back on the horse and um, you know, Ghost Howling, Simple, Bowie. Um, you know, it would have been nice to have had a longer Simple, but um, I, I just love the, the set list uh, in that second set. Um, very strong choices and it all fit together pretty well. And um, I, I love it. Great, great opening uh, set two for the weekend. We've seen this balance throughout the summer 2022 tour where some sets are similar to last night's second set where there's not like one big capstone improvisational piece. There's improvisation kind of scattered throughout the set um, versus say like Atlantic city night three, where you've got like, the wave of hope and you enjoy myself as like really meaty improvisation and then around it kind of more standard performances. Um, I don't know exactly. Like I, I think my preference tends to go to like, I'd rather hear like one really big 20 to 25 minute deep exploration. And I wouldn't be surprised if we got one before the end of this weekend, but it was really nice, especially for the first set two of a three night run to just like hear improvisation kind of scattered throughout. And even though it didn't go past like 12, 13 minutes in many cases, you got a lot of diversity in the plane, like set your soul free goes into this very melodic blissful state. And then just a few songs later, ghost goes into this very aggressive jam and you get this, it's a very significant pocket of improvisation in David Bowie, plus the ass handed, the golden age. Like you just had it kind of balanced throughout the overall set. Um, RJ, what were your big highlights and what were your thoughts on it? I mean, I, I really like the just the extra little jam on ass handed. It's like that bodes well to me for this, like what we keep talking about, what song is going to get jammed out next. It reminds me a little bit of like the Axela 2, you know, getting stretched out over the past year or so. Um, so I just think that's a cool thing and shows that they're willing and able to just kind of like push any song further. Um, the Say Your Soul For I, I felt like around, it felt like a lot of searching in that jam, like especially toward the toward the end. And some people around me were like, started to sit down and then the, the golden age started and it, it kind of brought everyone back up, which I thought was interesting. Um, and I, I love Lonely Trip so much. I just I love that song. I, they could play it every show, and I'd be extremely happy. Um, but the Bowie, I, I made a, I made a lot of people angry on the internet by saying that that was the best Bowie that I've, I've seen. And I did qualify by saying I don't think it was the best Bowie they've ever played. But I looked at every Bowie that I've seen in 26 years, and I feel pretty confident that that might have been the best one because I missed like fall 94 i didn't see one in fall 95 i'd missed some of like the 03 bowie you know i, I i'm confident looking back at my list that I, it's in the t at least top three bowies i've ever seen um i looked at your ahead, list Jonathan. too and i think you're right yes 
Thank you. Um, a lot of people told me I was I was objectively wrong, which I don't think. <laughs> but um, you know, it, if you're objectively wrong with your opinions, then I guess like I just I don't that leaves me at a loss for words about life. Um, but you know, it was so cool. They there were so many different parts of that Bowie, and and it it didn't it didn't let up at the end. You know, like he trade nailed the trilling, nailed the end. And I, I will say before we before I forget the lizards. I, I think he I think he hit every single note. And I'm not like a monitor tray for hitting notes person, but when it happens on a song like Lizards, it's like it's really cool and it brought a lot of emotion out, I think, from like the, the people around me at least. It was really cool to see. Um so I thought it was I agree with you, Brian. I think it was like ta- good table setting for the for the weekend. Um and yeah, I mean the segues were incredible. There was no no break in the second set in terms of the, the segues, which I thought was really cool. So um a really fun night i wish i could wish i could stay for two more nights scott i have a question just because you were closer than i was i've webcasted every show this tour last night was my first night there i seem to notice last night that trey has removed the microphone that is right next to fishman's kit that he was talking into for their interior monitors to like suggest the next song and it appeared from where i was standing that he was turning off his mic to the crowd and talking into his actual mic for, for song changes, maybe key changes. Did you notice that as well? Is that something new as of today? Uh, I didn't catch it last night, but I've definitely seen the microphone next to Fishman uh, throughout the tour. Um, So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he, he changed up a little bit, Um, but I didn't, I didn't notice it last night. The, the one thing I, I did notice uh, if we're, we're talking about things that are a little out of the norm and I'm going to shift it back to the first set. Um, so I, I just catch these things, but Mike had walked out with a, a pair of glasses on. Yes. And so I, I didn't have great reception at Alpine and didn't get the joke until about two o'clock in the morning, but Renee had taken a picture of, uh, Mike and Paige backstage wearing the same shirt uh, and wearing glasses. And I'm not sure if Mike wears glasses or if they were smart people glasses, if you will. But um, so they came out on stage and like I, I didn't take a lot of pictures last night, but they're wearing the same shirt in the first set at the very least. Um, and so just just kind of trolling Paige, I guess, on stage. I don't know if he. I wasn't sure if he was expecting Mike to walk out with the same shirt. Um, it, was, it was kind of funny to just look at the photos. I'm like, wait a minute. Um, well, yeah, they what? they posted the Mike posted the picture of the two of them during set break, and but then when he came out, he had changed shirts, so he wasn't wearing. All right, so it was a set break, not before the show. Okay, yeah, um, and I, but clearly I, he was, you know, up, right. I was actually watching Between Me and My Mind not too long ago, and Mike does wear glasses sometimes. He, but he was constantly like he had them on when he looked at a piece of gear in his studio, and then he quickly took them off and folded them up, and then he put them back on. You know, it's like he was. Yeah, they were they were on for about like two minutes in Fuego, and yeah. you blinked and they were gone. I was just like, wait a minute, I know he wore glasses. <laughs> um, so. A couple thoughts. First, we need to give. Uh, Props to Austin for an excellent, I think you should leave reference. Um, very complicated shirts worn on stage, which means that they're probably about $1,500 to $2,000. Um, also, 
I was, I just, I'm just thinking about this now. So before the second set, someone threw Trey a Pepe Le Pew shirt, which he showed off to the crowd, which the Is crowd the went one that I insane. Got on in Raleigh with the doc. No, this was like just like Pepe Le Pew's face on it, um, and then oh, Trey like hung it. It was a winking Pepe Le Pew. There were at least four or five people in the pit, uh, all wearing the same shirt. Um, oh, cool. Maybe between, uh, like in front of Fishman, I guess. And so they uh, tossed a shirt up there. Paige let Trey know the shirt was there. And then Trey had it on his monitor for the entire, for the rest of the show. And uh, Jonathan, just Brian, quickly, if anyone has seen the shirt that Jonathan has and that I have, which is Pepe Le Pew holding a Languedoc, Mr. Dude is the name of the person who makes it. And it's really awesome. And, um, I think everyone should have one. It's one of my favorite new shirts, but that's not what we're talking about. Sorry. It's a good shirt. Well, I was just going to say with like respect to joking, which fish does occasionally and nineties relics, really the only way to up the ante here with the glasses is for everyone to come out on stage wearing glasses and fishman to come out wearing his rec specs that he used to wear in the mid 1990s. That's, that's the only way to, finish the to cap off this weekend apparently but um i digress um jonathan from the couch what was your big highlight of set two i really love this set actually i was reading during it i said my my new thing during couch tour is just like at the show i'm not watching the lights so i you know i occasionally put the book down and go what the hell are they doing up there and one of the times I did that was when Ass Handed went over a minute and a half. And uh, <laughs> and and I was really excited for that. I really liked the quiet, spacey bit of Set Your Soul Free. Shermuth mentions that in a comment, too. Um, I thought that was beautiful. And uh, and I was, like, wondering for a minute, are they going to do uh, Beneath the Sea of Stars here? Or, you know, but they didn't. And that was fine and good. Golden Age was great. And, and the whole set as you guys have all said flowed really nicely lonely trip was lovely uh howling well placed very expected and uh yeah the david bowie is my highlight i think that you know we've talked about david bowie a lot this year and i think that scott kind of uh encapsulated the the thoughts that i have about it doesn't have to be a massive bowie to be a good bowie um, I still want a massive David Bowie. The fact is they haven't done a lot of even particularly very good Bowies in 3.0, 4.0 until very recently. And they've been getting better and better. They, you know, a couple pre-COVID, I mean, they weren't even necessarily landing them very well. Now they're doing all the structural bits properly uh with high energy and putting jams into it so we're really getting to the point where by dicks uh i I, i'm looking forward to a monumental a new mount rushmore david bowie but in the meantime i will happily take one of these this this was good good jamming and uh and it is what i want uh more of and i don't really expect the Mount Rushmore Bowies, except for Dicks. Um, uh, I, I, these are out, outstanding and kind of go in with all of the like assorted jams we get throughout this whole second set. What, one thing I was noticing about the Bowie is that, you know, in the 90s, you get like the during the composed section with each little 
break in the in the song, you get like a kind of a serious crash from the band, you know, and the lights, and it would be like you'd see all those segments as separate sort of pieces. And like last night, I was watching it during the composed part, and it's kind of just like a, a long groove now, you know. But they they did like hit it all, but there's not like the exclamation points in between the sections like there used to be. But um, but once they got into the jam, it just it was it was really coherent. I thought it was just amazing. Yeah, it's also interesting to me that if you listen to a lot of the big Bowies from '94 through let's call it '97, when they drop out of the composed segment. Um, you know, that big chord where you get like the purple and green and blue lights and it kind of quiets down. That's around the time that the jam would come in. And now they're kind of like playing through that kind of muted kind of eerie section before they go back, go into the, um, uh, the return. So the jam comes out of a very unique place. It gets very melodic. It gets very upbeat and I was listening back to it a couple of times this morning. I think it's about two and a half to three minutes of sustained improv outside of David Bowie. I felt very much like how Scott felt during the Haley's Comet, where I heard Trey play a different chord and I immediately like I this this pumps up. I was like yelling. I was all happy. And then I was like, wait, restrain yourself. This has happened before. They, they may just go back in. This may just be like one stray chord and they're going to find their way back in. And it was probably like 30 or 40 seconds of like waiting to like actually celebrate. And then when I realized we're in totally uncharted terrain, I got really, really happy, but I knew at that point, like we're coming towards the end of things. So it's not going to go off for 20 minutes, but at least this is, uh, this is kind of on par with like that first ACDC bag jam that they did at, um, uh, the man night to this, uh, earlier in the summer. So this is, um, this is something I, I mentioned or referenced earlier that I wanted to come back to, which is that, um, because you were at the show, you were unable to send me a text the minute <laughs> David Bowie went slightly off script and completely jinx us. So, but I thought about it off on the sofa. I was like, Brian can't text me. Will it go? And then I thought, did I jinx it? And I saw on Twitter, somebody else is like, this might be it. I'm like, just settle down. It'll happen. Just, you can't like say it's going during the jam or it just doesn't. Like, I guarantee if we go back through Twitter, there's eight or 10, 20, 30, 50 people going, oh, will this, will this Haley's go? No, no. But thanks. Maybe next time. <laughs> Overall, I thought it was a really strong set. Um, I think it, my, my, my overall impression is that it just kind of set the foundation really nicely for what could be a excellent weekend. Um, a lot of cool improv scattered throughout. Um, and you want to have any final thoughts on the second set or on the encore before we get to our last segment of the show? I just want to say that more, I love more so much. And I, I just, it's, 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 it's probably like top five songs for me to hear live at this point, which is kind of fucked up and, and strange, but um, I just, I just love that song so much. I think it's like a great, I love it as a second, like a, a more encore by itself is like slightly, uh, slightly disappointing probably, but like after something, it's just, I think it's a great way to, to send people out into the night. 
Ever since I, Kelly um, Morris did the when they Be went More to Now him. video, um, it, it's definitely had a different impact on me um, with everything that was going on in the country at the time. And then this video came out, and it just it, it it's it's very special. Um, yeah, you know, you're never. I don't think you're ever going to get. You should never say never, but I don't think it's going to be a, a jammed out song. But it's just something that. It has a, a good amount of meaning to me. It's dear to my heart, um, and it's just it's nice to 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 have it show up in the show. Agree. I it it took me a while uh, with that song, but for some reason last year the line I guess it's never really over, even when it's over, just like hit me like a ton of bricks. I think it's one of the coolest turn of phrases that they have. And um, listening to that live, you start to. Ref- be really reflective and i think it's uh it's, it's got a real powerful moment um so our last segment for the show is the free lasting highlight of the show this is brought to us by our friends at fans for racial equity which seeks to build an anti-racist live music scene and promote liberation through racial equity in the world at large by activating the collective power of our overall community. By facilitating thoughtful engagement around race and its intersection with other issues, free empowers fans to challenge discrimination and systemic oppression wherever they see it. To get involved in Free's education, outreach, and community partnership programs, sign up to volunteer at the link on your screen, fansforracialequity.org, or you can share in the groove at the free table during a show. They will be at every venue. There's two more for the rest of the summer tour. So check them out at Alpine. They're up on the lawn uh, in the kind of uh in in like the cabin looking area where there's a bunch of vending they're inside of there and they will be at dicks again this year so in the spirit of the free lasting highlight of the show scott imagine we're five ten years from now and we're looking back on this concert what do you think is the highlight that people will be listening back to moment dance easily the moment dance RJ, is it free, or excuse me, is it more, or is it Moma Dance? <laughs> it's David Bowie for me. I'm going to keep going back to it because I need to keep defending my internet opinion, so I'm just going to stick to that. <laughs> There's no going no, back I mean, now. I'm always up there for sure, but I think the Moma is just really Moma is pretty incredible. Yeah, pretty incredible. Really, really good. And then first set, I mean, you guys talked, we talked about this earlier, but just the fact that there's a first set jam that's going to be, you know, the the lasting jam, I think, makes this whole thing much more exciting, you know, um, that, that that can kind of happen anywhere with, with any song. It's really, that's been happening a lot this tour. I just think it's really exciting. Agree. Jonathan, what is your, uh, what do you think is the lasting highlight of the show? I don't know. If Ass Handed went two more minutes, I might say that, but... Um... I think it's the MoMA, but I will say the first thing I went back and listened to last night when it dropped onto Live Fish was that David Bowie. And the first thing I'm going to listen to this afternoon when we're done here is the David Bowie. So I could be lying, but, you know, I'm sticking with MoMA. Yeah, I think it's MoMA as well. I think it's just like a hyper-connected jam in a surprise spot. It 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 tends to be, I don't know if this is the best version of MoMA from a jamming standpoint that we've ever heard. I would need to go back and you know re-listen to a few. But in the moment, there it felt fully connected. It felt like one of those things where 
it's so interesting on this tour. The band is jamming so much and you can really tell though, when they hit a, a, a jamming space where it's just hyper-connected, there's no stopping them and they just keep going and keep going. And the conversation just keeps on un- unraveling. Um, and it felt the most pure in MoMA versus other jamming points in the show where they just Nothing was going to stop them from building up to to a massive peak. So I think that will be something we'll be listening to a lot in the in the near future. It is the longest one if you take the fish uh, the live fish timing and compare it to the jam. Interesting. Charts. It's the longest, not by much. Um, I don't know if it's the best. That, that would take some research, but it's a good one. It's a great one. This was a good, good Friday night show. At Alpine Valley. Fish's first show at Alpine since 714 2019, which is a pretty famous show for a variety of reasons. Um, Scott, thank you so much for taking some time here and hanging with us. Um, you will be back tomorrow to hang with us to cover night two of Alpine. And I'm really excited that we're getting you back to back because uh, I want to hear how you and I kind of uh either differentiate or uh, are aligned in terms of hearing these first two shows at alpine it should be should be a ton of fun to compare and contrast well, thank you so much for having me brian uh, rj um and john it's, it's fantastic to be with you guys and uh looking forward to coming back tomorrow and scott thanks so much for coming in person last sunday uh at the Waterwheel charity fundraiser slash fish discussion slash music event um it was great to have you there. We appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, uh, that was great too. I'm, I'm glad there's no Shaftygate to discuss today, but um, <laughs> uh, a, little, a little more of a mild set list than than what we were talking about last time. But um, yeah, I'm glad. Well, to there's always tonight. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to exactly. say there's, all, there's one more chance that Fish will give you. Careful of my words here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have fun. Have fun yeah, at the cool. shows. Have fun at the rest of the shows, Scott and Brian and. Jonathan, I miss you. Yeah, thanks. Thank Dad. you. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us here today. We will see you back here tomorrow for another episode of HF Pod on Tour, covering night two of Fish's Alpine Valley run in 2022. Till then, take care, everyone.
Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.